0: Cowabunga Gang, welcome to Guilty Pleasure Movies, and I'm your host, Steve Pfeiffer. On this episode, we're kicking off the way of the ninja month all month long. I'm talking titles that have the word ninja somewhere in there. No better way to do so than start off with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I love it you love it we all love it there's pizza everywhere and turtles skateboarding all over the shitty sewers of new york city it's gonna be totally awesome dude but first let's jam oh, I here some tasty waves cool buzz and i'm fine, I'm fine. I'm fine. And we're rolling, we're talking Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, a 1990 classic. And it definitely reeks of this time frame. You know, this movie is based on the comics and eventually the animated series that premiered back in 87. And I love the cartoon. You know, you can see a lot of the fun and goofy elements from that cartoon brought to life on the big screen. You know, fun fact about the movie, you know, all the major studios passed on it, including Disney, you know, felt it was violent and just was going to be a big dud, you know, similar to the Masters of the Universe, but luckily the house that Freddie built, New Line Cinema, stepped in, and this was still kind of before they were still a giant studio, and they knew they had something special here, and they definitely ran with it, and this film is directed by Steve Barron, you know, he started out as a director of music videos uh, for, you know, such hits like Toto's Africa. Yeah, that's a timeless classic that I love to cruise around to with the speakers about to explode. You know, he's done a shit ton of music videos, you know, for the most part with lots of alternative rock groups and some other rock stars like ZZ Top and Madonna, so lots of good shit in there. A lot of big hits even, but for Hollywood, he directed this, Coneheads and the Pinocchio starring J.T.T., and... Uh, some other mostly TV movie garbage after that. But he's got a couple of big hits under his belt. I don't want to say big hits. You know, this one by far. But Conan has, I love, of course. That's kind of a classic. And this movie does star Judith Hogue as April You know, apparently she was such a pain in the ass to work with on set that they didn't invite her back for the sequels. Uh, but she's known for other roles, such as Ar- or her roles in Armageddon, um, you know, and also the mom in the Halloween Town movies, and the first one I liked as a kid, but I guess I was pretty easy to please. So, and also we get as Casey Jones, it's Elias Cotes, I believe. I might be mispronouncing that. I apologize, but anyways, he's missing in the second film, you know, which is definitely the biggest downfall of that one, you know, among maybe a couple other things. But anyways, he does return for the third third Ninja Turtles film. And but he's also in Who's Talking, Shutter Island, and a whole bunch of other shit that I've either never heard of or seen, but he's in a couple of the movies I do like. And the voices, you got to know who's the voices of these turtles, and that's Kevin Clash anyways as Splinter. So he's the one in charge of all the turtles, you know, and he's the guy that did the voice and puppet work for Elmo. But for the turtles themselves, we get Corey Feldman as Donatello. He's the purple ninja turtle, and we all love you know the two Corys, and he's one half of that bunch, and R.I.P. to the other Cory. But anyways, you know this one, Corey Feldman, has you know some eighty fame, eighties fame under his belt. You know titles such as The Lost Boys, License to Drive, um, but he's had some other solid career uh, choices. That, you know where was him without the other Cory in there? What you know such as you know Stand by Me. Um, some of the like the Friday the 13th part four he was in, and don't forget the Goonies, that is a treasure. And then we also get uh, Brian Toshi as Leonardo the Blue Turtle. You know, he's famous for being in Revenge of the Nerds and one of the Police Academy sequels, but not really a whole lot I recognize after that. Um, Robbie Rist as Michelangelo, he actually did the voice in all three of those ones, I thought it was pretty cool you know, this guy is a voice acting legend. You know, he's done well over 100 credits. You know, no real famous characters that I could really find. But he's been in a lot of big shows. You know, he is stuffy on Doc McStuffins. You know, for all the parents out there, the young ones. Um, And I'm kind of glad we're over with that phase. And moving on to the Ninja Turtles, you know, for me and my kiddos. Um, But also, he is, you know, fun fact about him. He played little cousin Oliver on the Brady Bunch. And that's the blonde with the glasses that always hung out with You know, Bobby. Yeah, so some crazy shit there. But then we got Josh Pace as Raphael, and he's the Red Ninja Turtle. And he actually played inside the suit, too. So he does the voice as well as the acting. And he's one, you know, so he's the only one of the four turtles that, you know, was voiced and acted by the same person. So he's kind of got that cool little extra tidbit for him going. Extra little credit. And, you know, I love him in the Law and Order SVU series that he's in. Uh, that's a show you can you know you just can't watch one or two episodes you know I think that's why USA does run about twelve hour marathon blocks at a time they know you're gonna sit and at least watch half of that and DVR the other half but some fun cameos for the Ninja Turtles um, we do see you know all four uh, people that play inside the Ninja Turtle suits do some at some point appear throughout the film um, Josh Pace you know like I said he's you know he's in that suit the whole time he's doing the voice but he has a cameo as well so he just does all kinds of cool shit. He's all over the place and he's the one big cameo cuz he makes the trailer. He's got a line where you know, "What was that?" you know, "What the heck was that?" you know, when you know the Ninja Turtle runs by. So he even makes the fucking trailer. He's an important part, I guess. But we also get any Ernie Reyes Jr., you know, from Ninja Turtles too as the fun-loving pizza boy Kino. You know, he is a stunt double in this one as Donatello, so I thought that was a pretty neat cameo. They just loved his work so much. He was a great martial artist. They said, we got to bring him back, made a special character to kind of replace the Casey Jones one. They knew they were missing something, so they just kind of whipped up some random character that had never been brought up in the Ninja Turtles timeline before ever since. And so and we also get Skeet Ulrich and Scott Wolf. They make brief appearances as members of the Foot Clan in the background. No lines, very hard to spot, but they're there, and the run time of this film, 93 minutes, so right where you need to be, you know, especially when, you know, the stars of the film are talking turtles, so, you know, you get lots of good action, lots of cool fight scenes, and I'll let it slide that it went just over the 90-minute mark because we do get some extra character development in there, and we get Casey Jones. So, you know, he's worth a few extra minutes because his character is a frickin' baboon. He's hilarious at times and so damn dumb. But, you know, the actor does such an excellent job in the role, and I really love it. You know, going back and rewatching watching it, he really stood out with just the humor element that he brought You guys know I love posters and trailers. This poster one, the the poster to this one, I absolutely love. You know, it's a shot of just filthy New York City and all their tall buildings in the background. But then you get kind of a close-up of a sewer drain right in the middle of the street. And the lid is just slightly open, just a smidge bit. Just enough for the Ninja Turtles and all four of their little eyes peeking out with the different color little headbands going on and... Uh, They're just making sure the city's safe and free of teenage crime, apparently. So that's awesome. I love it. And the trailer, it all starts with a shot of Shredder. He's telling the Foot Clan New York City is their playground, and they're going to go buck wild on everyone. You know, there's a creature in the city, a mutant or some sort of thing that they need to take down. But just a little thing about the trailer, it's not the voice of the regular Shredder from the film, the final product that we all know. So there was definitely some ADR done, you know, on Shredder and maybe even some of the Foot Clan because they are this is a rough draft apparently on the fucking audio. But we cut to a turtle the size of a grown man skateboarding in the sewers of New York City. Not just any turtle, a teenage mutant ninja turtle, four of them all with different color headbands and weapons, along with very different personalities also. There's a massive montage of them doing karate on bad guys, a la the Foot Clan and Shredder, with a terrible mashup of classical music and grunge rock music just slapped on top of each other. So it's just terrible music with lots of weird montage of fucking turtles doing karate. But don't forget the turtles dancing in their apartment, eating a shit ton of pizza, and shouting terrible Early '90s catchphrases like "totally radical" and "Cowabunga, dudes!" Brace yourself. The trailer puts it this way: "Lean, green, and on the screen." Sounds like Green Man from Always Sunny made a fucking porno or some shit. But this is 1990s. This is Smash It, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Woo! Yeah, guys, it's that exciting. I'm oh man, it is that much fun. Like I said, it's a timeless classic. We've all seen it. If you haven't seen it for a while, you're going to get lots of good flashbacks. You're going to get some good memories. We're taking a trip down memory lane with a huge bit of nostalgia kicking in here. And with the budget itself, you can tell it's a little bit cheaper maybe for the time. It's not too bad. It's $13.5 million. And the gross, though, was bananas for the time. $202 million. And that was actually the record for the highest-grossing independent film, independent film, excuse me, for a while. And that was until Pulp Fiction in '94. You know, just a few years later, that is, and it beat it out by only a couple million dollars, like two million, that is, and so not even. So pretty crazy shit, you know. Since that's been, you know, well destroyed by other films, but for the time, it was the highest-grossing and kind of opened the eyes for some different studios. But why is this film a guilty pleasure movie? We all know that it's a cool. Fucking film. The Ninja Turtles are awesome, but why is it on this list exactly? And like I said, like the rest of the world, I love the Ninja Turtles. You know, I grew up a fat kid in the 90s, so this should appeal to my fucking demographic like none other. You know, you got the martial arts, the cool oversized reptiles, and fucking pizza. You know, this had 90s kids' fingerprints all over it. We couldn't get enough Ninja Turtles. You know, I had literally all the toys, and I I wish I still had them, actually, because they're worth a few fucking dollars today. And I had all the clothes, I owned all the movies, including the animated show with the different color VHS cases like the blue and the purple. You guys remember those. Those are amazing. And, you know, I had music that was considered cool for the time, but it is so entertaining to just poke fun of nowadays, and it's the second favorite the Ninja Turtles, but I'll admit that this one is still the better of the two. So with all that said, let's dive into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. The film opens with a shot of NYC and the Twin Towers R.I.P. We see the news reporter April O'Neil, and she's talking about a recent surge of crime in the city, lots of theft going on, and Then we see all the different people in the city, of course, all the different faces. But one of them really stands out. It's a redheaded kid named Danny. He's about 15 years old. Someone passes him a wallet, and then he passes it off to another person. That person he passes it off to, though, has a bunch of blades on a glove on their hand. So that must be the boss man himself, Shredder. And then we see a group of other kids in strange ninja outfits, they're stealing all kinds of shit, you know, boxes of electronics. They snag some old lady's TV off her patio when she's not looking. All kinds of havoc just going on. And then the teens take off to their hideout spot where they're unboxing all their goodies of all that stolen shit. And then we cut to the news station. April O'Neil is leaving for the night, so she's off duty. She's wearing this hideous yellow raincoat, though. And so that's definitely a nod to the TV show when she's wearing her yellow jumpsuit. Very glad they decided to go a different direction and not bring that back full time for the fucking movie on there, or the franchise even. But And then, you know, she's walking to her car, but before she gets to it, she spots some of the teens stealing some shit off a truck. And they say, hey, picked a bad time to come out. And they hold her down. They try to steal some of her shit But all of a sudden, the screen goes black, and we hear someone getting beat up, and next thing you know, cop sirens and headlights. And the bad guys, conveniently conveniently enough, are just all tied up, they're all bloodied up, and they're ready to go for the fucking cops, you know, ready to be sent off to the big house for their fucking idiotic crimes. And we see just a hint of a turtle, you know, he's got a red bandana covering his eyes, just peeking out of the sewer, just to make sure everything's okay. But he realizes he left one of his weapons behind. It's a sigh. It's one of those little fucking daggers that look kinda of like a fork, the little three different spikes on it. But he fucking realizes, oh damn, I forgot this. And April picks it up as a souvenir. And he in he actually even says damn, which kinda of stood out to me. You know, these potty-mouth-fucking Ninja Turtles, you know, they're teenagers, so you know they're definitely going to be potty-mouths, but boys will be boys, right? <laughs> Anyways, we cut to the sewers of New York. It's dripping with piss and shit, and you see used condoms floating around. Literally, you see that shit floating in the water. It's disgusting. And then we get the awesome Ninja Turtles theme song. You know, we hear Ninja Turtle voices, and their logo comes on the screen. And then we see the ninja turtles themselves officially. They exchange some teenage quips like righteous, excellent, bossa Nova. And you know, all that cool stuff that you know kids back then were saying, all that cool shit. But these dudes are starving, and the only thing that can hit that craving is some pizza. And you know what a unique take on six-foot-talking turtles, you know, what what they would eat. <laughs> you know, Garfield, he likes lasagna. The turtles prefer pizza, so Italian food is popular. You know, I'm sure Mickey Mouse, he probably chows down on spaghetti and meatballs. But anyways, you know, they get back to their place. They tell their master, Splinter, you know, he's a five-foot-talking rat with words of wisdom. And he's basically like Wilson from Home Improvement, only hairier. <laughs> And, you know, they tell him all about the ass they just kicked, and he should be so proud. But he says, you young lads never listen. You guys get excited too quick. You know, always blowing your wads too easy. Strike fast and hard, but dip back into the shadows like I taught you. You know, no need to brag and try to be some silly superheroes. You know, he says it in a much classier way, but that's basically what the gist of it is. You know, Michelangelo, you know, the orange turtle, he's too busy ordering a large pizza for the gang, though. You know, he's getting all the meats on there, and I didn't even realize that turtles were carnivores. You know, he's getting, you know, at least he likes pork because he's getting ham and pepperoni on his sauce. I'm like, holy shit, you learned something new. I guess at least if you're a mutant turtle anyways. But, you know, Splinter chucks an old pizza box at him and says, get your buns over here. He then suggests they meditate as a group and think about their mistakes, you know, but Donnie and Mikey, you know, they got other ideas of their own as they start jamming out to the the good old tequila song, so, Ralph, you know, he goes back to, or he goes on a little cruise, that is, you know, just to kind of, you know, clear his mind, so he grabs his skateboard, he's going through the fucking sewers, and the other guys, they decide, let's go wait for some pizza, and they go near where the fucking sewer gates are or whatever, and You know, the pizza guy finally arrives, but he's confused as hell by the address. It's 122 and one eighth Main Street or whatever, but what the fuck kind of prank is this is all he's thinking. He looks pissed, but he hears a voice from the sewer drain that just startles the shit out of him, and then, you know, the fucking hand slips him a 10 and says, keep the change, but, you know, there's not really any fucking tip there, you know, it's literally 10 bucks even, so these fucking dudes are stingy ninjas. And a little fun fact about the pizza man, you know, the actor, you know, who plays inside the Michelangelo suit is actually the same actor portraying the pizza man. It's not the voice, but it's the guy in the suit. It's not the guy that even does the fun stunts. It's just the guy that walks around in that hot ass suit, basically, that eats the slices of pizza, whatever the fuck, just chills out with Splinter and meditates. So he's that guy in the suit. Anyways, cut back to the Ninja Turtles. They're in their dining room, chilling at the table, and of course they have to slice up the pizza with the katana sword, and they're throwing their pizza in the air to slice it and dice it, and slices are fucking literally going all over Most of them land right where they're supposed to on the plates, but one slice manages to fall on top of Splinter's head upside down. And so these dudes must have ordered like six times the cheese because this shit is literally like globbering all all off and just looks super disgusting. And cut to Raphael in a trench coat and hat walking the streets of New York City. So he decided to go ahead and head out of the sewers and just go explore the fucking town. But he's got to have his nice little disguise on, his fucking creeper fucking, you know, exposer fucking an outfit (laughs) that he wears. So, you know, he's leaving the local theater. He just went and watched Critters, as we see, and he walks up calling the film garbage. And I somewhat agree, you know, I'm much more of a Gremlins guy. Critters wasn't bad, got kind of silly, but definitely more of a Gremlins guy for sure. Anyways, you know, he spots some teens that steal a purse from an old lady, and he trips them and recovers that purse you know, these guys, they take off after, you know, seeing that this fucking thing is some kind of a mutant ninja or fucking whatever it is. They're not sure. But they run off into the woods and out from the trees drop some dude in a hockey mask. And, no, it's not Jason Voorhees. It's Casey Jones. And his mask is actually way more badass than Jason, if you ask me. It just looks so sleek and menacing. It's fucking sweet. But, anyways, you know... He spotted these purse snatching fucking assholes and he isn't too happy with their behaviors. And he calls them some fucking purse grabbing pukes, as he puts it, and starts fucking dropping all kinds of fucking. Hockey puns and starts swinging that fucking hockey stick and taking him out. And this guy, he's great. You know, five to ten seconds of screen time. His entrance is awesome. His delivery is amazing. That badass mask we talked about. So this guy's a fucking legend. You know, he said he's spouting off these hockey puns. He fucking takes out these dudes. But out of nowhere, Raphael comes up behind him and just pushes Casey Jones to the ground. You know, giving the bad guys enough time to run off while Casey and Raphael jabber back and forth. You know, Roth says, you know, he doesn't want to fight Casey, but it's too late. Casey breaks out two baseball bats, starts a round of batting practice on the turtle's ribs. You know, but Raphael, he snags a bat and connects a good shot to Casey's backside. And Casey Jones says, fuck American sports puns, grabs his cricket bat, to which even Raph says, nobody knows shit about cricket. But But Casey says, he'll teach him, and swings up and connects with Raphael's head, and the Ninja Turtle goes fucking flying into a trash can. It is awesome. He shoots, he scores. And <laughs> Casey tells him, you know, nice game, runs off to fight more crime, but he calls him a fucking freak, and that's not exactly, you know, very nice, and that's not what the fucking turtle wanted to hear either. And he also calls him a punker, so not sure what that means. I might have to go on Urban Dictionary to look that one up. But he calls him a fucking punker with this weird fucking, you know, green face paint on. He doesn't realize it's a turtle. But anyways, Ralph doesn't like being called a freak, so he's a mutant, not a freak. And he tries to chase him down. You know, he almost gets run over by a taxi. And fun fact, the passenger in the backseat of that taxi, the guy that says, what the heck was that? You know, that's Joss Pace. That's the man inside the Raphael suit and the voice. So he knows exactly what the heck that was. But anyways, back to the turtles. He can't quite catch Casey Jones. So he lets out another very loud, DAMN! And he just yells that shit into the night sky. And I know DAMN is a very tame word. But as a little kid, you definitely notice those things in movies. And I was like, man, we've already got almost a handful of the fucking "dams" in there. So that's pretty awesome. And cuts to Raphael arriving back home with the sewer. You know, Splinter's been waiting for him to arrive all night long. You know, he tells him, you have to learn to control the anger. The anger, you can't let it become internal because that's an unconquerable battle. And so this rat is so poetic in his words, and he's literally a genius because he always has the fucking right answer. And we cut to April O'Neill, She's getting ready for work at her apartment, and her boss is there, and he's with his son Danny, that red-headed kid. And he says... I'm worried and saddened, you know, that you know my best reporter was mugged, you know, this last night, but he promises to make sure there's security to escort her to her car every night from that point forward after work. And I know he's trying to be extra caring here, but why the fuck is the boss hanging out at her house? There I mean, no way he makes her feel safe, you know, and is basically this. The teenage son runs the household. This guy's a big dork. I'm just going to be honest. I don't know what he's trying to fucking pull off here. But, anyways, you know, she tells him, you know, she's going to get to the bottom of this whole fucking flood of theft that's hit the city. And we cut to her interviewing the chief of police, who has basically no answers for what's going on, but he assures hey, the police are going to handle this, so no worries, guys. And we cut to the Turtles' lair, and they have some weird crush on that reporter, April O'Neill, because they're watching the interview, and Michelangelo starts kissing the TV, and he says he's in love, and there's just a total infatuation that you can clearly tell. And, you know, but it's 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 creepy. But like I said, they're teenagers, so they fall in love at first sight, you know, with hot older ladies all the time, I'm sure. It's just a part of that whole teenage boy cycle. Especially when you got lots of, you know, probably some weird shit chemistry going on when you're a mutant. I mean, you're probably extra horny, I'm guessing so. Anyways, April asks the chief about the Foot Clan and the rumors about them being responsible for this whole crime spree. But he denies there's any connection, has no idea what she's even talking about. And we cut to a shot of Shredder in his lair. And he too is a fan of watching the news because he sees this interview taking place. But he has like 40 TV monitors, like some kind of a production studio or some shit... So, I'm thinking, what the fuck is Shredder doing for a side hustle, you know, to have all these TV fucking monitors going on? And he must be working for MTV, because, you know, that was definitely the station to be back on at those days. And he kind of has that whole MTV VJ outfit look going on, if you ask me. But, <laughs> you know, he tosses a knife at the TV, it breaks his screen, so that must be why he has so many for target practice or whatever. But he's not happy, you know, that she knows about the Foot Clan, and he... He looks to someone off-screen in his growling-esque voice and says, Find her! Silence her! And, you know, this guy, he's not fucking around. And so we cut back to April O'Neil, and she's helping her crew, you know, get everything wrapped up after this interview. But the fucking chief is mad. He yells at her to come into the office. You know, she just as she's walking into the office, we get a little shot of the police escorting Danny off in their custody. So he finally got busted for all that dumb stuff he's been pulling and, April goes into the chief's office. He rips her a new one. He's asking her what she tried to even accomplish with this bullshit interview. And she tells him, you know, I, you know that I'm right. You, you know all about this Foot Clan. You're just in denial. So she walks out of the office. She heads to the train station. She's ready to just end her day, go home and get some wine or whatever. But she just misses her train. And somehow there's not a single other soul in this train station. I, It's Hollywood magic when that kind of bullshit happens. But anyways... It's not, I guess it's, there's more than just her because all of a sudden the Foot Clan shows up. You know, they sneak up on her, they tell her they have a message for her, and the message is a slap in the face. It was awesome, you know, a nice LOL moment from me, just the way that he did the delivery and this whole shit. But, and I know it's wrong to laugh in this instance, you know, of a woman being hit, but the way that he did it was just very comical, and I had a nice little genuine chuckle. But anyway, she tries to whip out that psi she found the other night, you know, and she before she can even try to use this fucking thing, these dudes kick that shit away. So she tries to use her purse as a weapon. She's just swinging that thing around like a pro. She even connects a few times, but then one of the guys just punches her square in the face and she drops like a sack of potatoes. But we see a turtle, you know, he, he... His little hat, you know, he pops up or whatever on the trench coat, and he picks up his sigh, and he starts yelling and storms from around the corner and attacks these motherfuckers with some sweet karate moves. And then he picks up April, you know, tries to save her life, takes her into the train tunnel, down in the sewers, back to his place so he can make sure she's okay. Hey, gang, real quick, want to give a big thank you to the creator of our opening and closing theme songs, musical genius, Dan Pfeiffer. If you enjoy those tracks, you can listen to them, along with many more of his at the app, Reverb Nation. Search his channel name, Dan Pfeiffer. That's spelled P-F-E-I-F-E-R. Dan the man, thanks again. So he brings her down to the sewer. He starts telling the other turtles about what happened. She starts to wake up and just freaks the fuck out as soon as she spots him, and rightfully so. Splinter says, hey, calm down. Let me tell you all about how we became these mutants. You know, he explains the story of, you know, he he was a baby rat in the New York City sewers. One day, he spotted these four baby turtles near a broken canister, and it ended up being this green ooze. And the next day, they all doubled in size, and Splinter became super intelligent. And, of course, the turtle's first spoken words were pizza. And it's so adorable and fucking insanely goofy, but Splinter, he decides to teach him about all these martial arts things that he learned from his master and they continue to learn words and just keep on growing in size. And so he starts to tell her about who each one of them are and he introduces them individually by name. And of course the camera pans to each one of the turtles. But I noticed when he got to Raphael that the turtle was smoking some kind of a pipe and I definitely don't think that's tobacco in there, because this looks like some kind of a homemade deal. It was like a 22-inch metal fucking pipe with a little net attached to the end, like a bowl. And so these turtles are major stoners. That explains the whole late-night munchies they always have. But anyways, you know, she actually realizes, hey, he's telling the truth. She agrees to have them take her back up to the city. And she says, you know, I, you guys can come up to my place if you want. And all I really have to eat is a frozen pizza, and they fucking practically run her over and break her door down to get to this goddamn pizza because it's like cracked to them and they're dope heads without money. That's what the scene reminded me of almost. Now I mean, they just instantly start drooling at the thought of pizza. And so inside her apartment, you know, they're, they're baking this shit. And Michelangelo is the entertainer of the group. He's doing all kinds of terrible impersonations. He's doing Cagney and Stallone. And all the classics. But he does it with this terrible surfer dude accent to it. So it's nowhere near. I mean, I'm not even going to attempt it. Because I'm bad at it. But just imagine the worst attempt. (laughs) But, you know, Raphael, he even says, hey, these fucking impressions suck. He's making some little dirty remarks under his breath. And they, they have to head out, but agree to come back as long as April has some pizza the next time. So they have all this fun eating pizza, doing impressions, and they say, hey, pizza dealer, call us next time you re up. So, you know, they go back down to their little sewer home, their little shithole, and it's fucking trash. So, so someone definitely broke in, and they notice splinters missing. And so Raphael just lets out this mean, nasty yell. He's super pissed. And they go back to April's house and they're just fucking crying. You know, their their rat or sensei slash daddy is gone. And so they're just going to have to fucking be depressed for the night and think about what they need to do. So the next morning, April's boss shows up and knocks at the door. And the turtles, they do a fantastic job of hiding just like good ninjas would do. And so he tells her... You know, lay off this whole Foot Clan story because you know you're getting overworked and exhausted. You know, someone else can take the case, but she fucking refuses. She's like, you know, I'm not gonna fucking start this and quit. I'm finishing what I started. And her and his son Danny, the redheaded dude, is there, and you know he has to be kept on a short leash these days. You can tell because he's a little shit, and he's just snooping around the apartment. And he sees a reflection of one of the turtles in a mirror, but of course, as soon as he turns around, the turtle's gone. So he does not. He's not sure if he's seeing shit or what's going on. And you know these get those guys eventually leave. And you know he tells her not to piss off any more cops, more than she's already done. And in the when they get inside the car, Danny's dad just starts ripping him a new one for being a little piece of shit teenager. And Danny's like, I fucking had enough of this shit, and just jumps out of this moving vehicle and starts running through this New York City like a madman. And we cut to the foot. Clan hangout spot where he goes so and it's got they're playing some awesome MC Hammer music first of all and it's like 12 year old kids you know ranging from like you know 12 to 16 tops but but there's this one kid in particular he's smoking this fat ass cigar while playing pool you know we got little 14 year old girls blowing big bubblegum bubbles and looks like they're ready to escort any willing young lad away to a night they won't soon forget And we even have some gambling going on, you know, a little roulette wheel and just stacks and stacks of cash. It's fucking awesome. You know, I wish we had some places like this when I was fucking growing up. I mean, we had some little rec centers where you could shoot hoops and maybe fucking play some foosball, but nothing like this. And, you know, we meet the leader of the group, and it's played by a very young Sam Rockwell, which is always fun. And his character name is actually Head Thug. So, so Head Thug is talking to a new member of the Foot Clan, you know, he wants to know if they got any cigarettes. And so, of course, rebellious teenagers, you know, that are underage all want to smoke. So this has to be, you know, be betrayed in the Ninja Turtles, of course. It's the thing to do in the 1990s, so let's make it part of the movie. And he gives this kid a wink. He says, you want regular or menthol? And I'm thinking, oh my god, this is disgusting. But, anyways, the right-hand man is Shredder. Tats or what is it? Tatsu, I believe. You know, he's walking around. He's monitoring the teens. And he bumps into one of them. gives him a nasty look and says, "Go play." You know, his real creepy dubbed voice. You can just tell because his fucking the he just does the timing doesn't match up. At one point, there's audio playing, but his lips aren't moving. So he, he's obviously a dubbed fucking actor in this film. But you know, there is. Uh, Some not-so-terrible stuff these kids are also doing, I need to mention that. They are shooting hoops there, so there are some fucking b-ball goals. They're doing skateboard tricks and just hanging out, sharing some laughs. And so this place was, you know, originally built to keep kids away from drugs, which it has in a way, but it has got them all hooked on tobacco, apparently. (laughs) So we cut to the training area of the Foot Clan lair, and so there's some of the members are sparring, going at it, you know, got to keep in shape, of course, got to stay ninja-ish. And so one guy, you know, he's taking a little rough on another dude, and he takes him down, and, you know, you know, Tatsu, he's a spectator, but he says, fuck this. And he jumps in to go have a round at it, and he takes the dude down, but the guy is, you know, luckily saved by the bell. Well, the gong, that is, I should say, because the gong indicates there is an important meeting, so this dude is saved by the fucking gong. And they go to side to their little they go off to their little meeting destination. And we start to see Shredder's shadow, his little silhouette, enter the room, and he's then we finally get to see him, and it's his long, shiny black robe and his insane fucking helmet with a face mask and a giant blade on the top of the thing on the helmet. And he's even got these awesome shoulder pads with spikes in his gloves, of course, and the forearms have these fucking spikes. So this dude is nasty. And you know, He's just an amazing evil villain. Or should I say a totally excellent bad guy bossa nova. And so anyways, you know, he provides some of the newest members of the Foot Clan with their mask and red bandana that they get and make it official. And he tells the others, hey, they're here because the world rejects them. But he is here to take them in and he wants them to be full members of the Foot. And... I'm glad they call him The Foot, because if you called him The Clan, oh man, it wouldn't be pretty. You know, this, this film wouldn't have got approved, and people would be assuming the worst. But anyways, The Foot, as they'll call them, And they must cause havoc on the city, but also take down these freak of nature ninja turtles that are trying to get in their way. So he's realizing there's some turtles that are fucking kind of blocking his goals that he has in mind. And he's going to get some new recruits to fucking take them down. You know, suddenly this voice pops up and says, "Master," and it's Danny, and you can tell he's ready to say exactly where these turtles are hiding out. He's ready to fucking squeal. He wants to be Mr. Popular, apparently. But we cut to the news studio, and April she's in the middle of a big old segment where, with this co-host, and some kind of an interview. And she brings up the Foot Clan out of nowhere and explains who they are. So she's got to bring them back up. She's got to make sure people have heard of them and. They fucking spot him, and somehow end this fucking shenanigans. But, you know, it's a group of ninja thieves that started in Japan. So she's explaining this whole deal, the the history, the background. And, you know, their behaviors that they had back then in Japan are very reminiscent and similar to the recent crime wave in New York City. You know, but the cops are not doing shit about it. So she's got to spread the word and make sure people do something. And she says, you know, she was even attacked by these guys. And, you know, it took a brave citizen of the city to save her. And it wasn't the fucking cops. They were too busy. And so she gives a personal shout-out to Raphael on TV. You know, which causes him to blush back home. Because they're all watching this fucking thing, of course. And You know, so he's almost as red as his, you know, little eye band or headband bandana. I don't know what it is. It's around their fucking eyes. So eye band we're going to go with. Whatever the fuck. He tries to change the subject. You know, it says, guys, you know, figure. let's figure out a plan to get Splinter back. You know, so they're just, you know, they suggest let's just chill out until April gets home, eat some munchy food, it'll be all good. But he's pissed. He said, uh, you know, he just heads up to the roof. He's got to, you know, let off some steam. And he just lets out this another good loud damn to the heavens above. And so I'm thinking, man, this is a fucking raunchy film. And I don't think I caught a single damn anywhere in the second one. And there's that fun fact about the studios needing to tame down the violence due to complaints from parents and whoever. So the first one definitely has it feel like it really wasn't meant to be just for little tiny kids, but more so for teens. So it, and as an adult, you can appreciate that, too, if you were a fan growing up, to kind of see just, you know it's it's more it's a sophisticated type of you know superhero film, if you want to call it that I mean for the time especially, I mean you had lots of bullshit back then. I mean, there was that whole Captain America in nineteen ninety and if you haven't seen that, I'm sure you can find at least a clip on YouTube. It is garbage, and I mean, like I said, studios were hesitant because of fucking films like Masters of the Universe, which you know had its own toy line, which did okay, but it didn't hit expectations. And so, you know, this film it really stands out because, you know, it was successful fucking in a massive way. But it was really kind of mature and it was good just overall. I gotta be honest now, just we're only halfway through it and I'm like, this is fucking awesome. You know, this it wasn't it wasn't it was goofy, but at the right times. But anyways, you know, and I had to double check anyways because it is rated PG so, you know, practically every kid of age saw us back then. And so I'm sure we were all saying, damn, and, you know, maybe stealing cigarettes and smoking and all that shit. But, you know, back you know, back to the film, you know, on the rooftop, you know, Ralph, you know, he's starting to do some cartwheels and karate kick moves. But from a distance, you know, we see another rooftop and it's Casey Jones just hanging out looking for crime. He's got his binoculars and he all of a sudden spots a Ninja Turtle on the rooftop. He's like, what the hell? And so suddenly we get a close-up, a close-up that is, of Raphael looking over the city. And the foot is behind him. And there's at least a dozen of them. And they just start beating the shit out of him. And he he starts to take them out, though. He kind of gets, you know, he starts to regroup and, you know, fucking rise up. And takes them out in bunches. But then all of a sudden, of course, there's about 50 more dudes that just show up out of nowhere. We cut to inside the apartment. You know, April's getting home from work. She says, you know, where's the Red Ninja Turtle? And so just as they say, he'll be back any minute. Cue the foot dropping him through their fucking skyroof. You know, the window just crashes in. He drops down hard to the floor. He barely survives this shit. He's banged up pretty good. So, you know, the foot, they break inside the apartment. That's their fucking grand entrance. And the turtles, they give a few ridiculous one-liners... They start whipping out the nunchucks. They do a little battle, and then a massive fight ensues—a big old fist fight. It is excellent, you know. Even though this is considered the violent Ninja Turtles film, there's still some of that whole Looney Tunes sound effect and the whole silly "I, sh- honey, I shrunk the kid" type music playing during this battle. So it's it's a it's uh, it's it's no Van Damme fucking fight scene, but it's still pretty awesome. And they do make contact, there's legit kicks and punches to the face, it looks great, you know, it's mild, you know, for today's taste anyways, but it looks good, you know, for, you know, what you're getting, you know, turtles doing karate moves, a la the Ninja Turtles folks, so, (laughs) you know, and eventually during this fight there's just so many goddamn people in the apartment that it causes them to fucking crash from that second story down to the first floor, through that ceiling, And everybody's all shook up. And Tatsu is fucking just waiting down there with more foot. And he tells them to attack, of course. And more fighting ensues. It's great. You know, they bang one of the turtles' heads on a piano and beat up another with some cymbals. So they're fucking turning these dudes into a fucking some kind of a fucking ridiculous band. But, you know, eventually the party is interrupted by an uninvited guest, Mr. Casey Jones, hockey mask and all. And one of the turtles asks, Who's that? Wayne Gretzky on steroids? And great joke. You know, cracking me up, dudes. But like I said, the humor is very geared towards kids, so if I haven't stressed that part enough... But, you know, it, it was awesome for the time. Let's just keep thinking that. It was awesome for the time. Because Gretzky, Gretzky is a legend, and for the time, he was the man. So, But, the, anyways, the fights are more for the older crowd, I suppose, and the dark elements of the Foot Clan, and all the humor is kind of for the kids. But I find myself chuckling here and there. And we'll get to some of those good highlights. But during the fight, a big old fire breaks out downstairs, and Casey holds off the foot as the turtles escape. You know, why he's fighting them off, they're... Fucking April gets a phone call, and of course she misses it, and the answering machine goes off, and so that's that's an obsolete object nowadays. But it's good to see one in film in Hollywood, and you know her boss leaves her a a sweet message. You know, says sorry to do this, but you're fired. So eventually Casey is going to have to deliver this fucking message because April is not around, and she never gets to hear it for herself, and so he has to be the one to do it while you know he sees the answering machine burned to ashes, (laughs) and. Casey, he manages to escape out back. You know, he hops in the turtle's van and they all drive off to safety. And we cut to a shot. A shredder. He's going to see Splinter tied up in his lair. So they do have this dude kidnapped. Ratnapped, whatever. And he punches him a few times. You know, he demands to know where the fuck these turtles are. And But Splinter is not speaking. He's fucking going to hold his own. And, you know, as Shredder's leaving, he stops, gives Tatsu, you know, his number two, a real dirty look, and just walks away. Tatsu doesn't like to disappoint his fucking master, or his boss man, whatever. And he starts knocking over boxes, you know, he goes into the locker room, he takes his fucking anger out on some of the Foot Clan members. And this place has it all, folks, I gotta say it now, because the locker room is equipped with showers, and all kinds of fucking sweet shit. Big ol', your personal lockers, you know, your... We'll even fucking put your name on the outside. And, you know, you go, you guys, they're doing all kinds of ninja stuff all the time. So they're going to work up a nice fucking sweat. They're going to be stinking during training. So they got to have a nice fucking place to shower. And I actually got a good laugh out of this scene because he does some WWF type of shit where he takes two guys and bangs their head together. But it looks so scripted, so it's just garbage. And he's throwing fucking weights all over the place. And one dude gets it real bad. A little IMDB trivia tidbit. This scene was actually filmed uh, with the kid dying after he got fucking waylaid on. But they added in some breathing noises and some ADR of a kid saying, he'll be alright in post-production because the ratings board didn't like a kid dying on screen. So they had to fucking add it. In the comics, I think I've read that... He fucking died this little kid, so this fucking tattoo's a badass motherfucker. And so we cut to Danny going to visit Splinter, who always, like I said, has words of wisdom to provide. And he tells him for a you know, for a young guy, you look pretty burdened. You know, eventually Danny confesses, I got daddy issues. But Splinter reassures him, Hey, all dads love their sons no matter what. And he's right. You know, I have a two-year-old son, and there's nothing, I mean nothing, that could break that bond we have. I love this little dude. He's a mini-me. Looks just like me. So, he's definitely a ladies' man already. So, you know, but cut back to the turtles. You know, Casey and April, they're all driving to some farmhouse out in the middle of nowhere. And I'm from Kansas. By the way, I'll got I be the first one to tell you guys that I'm a Midwest boy. If I told you that in the first episode, the intro, the fucking GPM is a live intro. But this looks like some shit out of fucking Kansas. It really does. It's middle of nowhere, fucking wheat field kind of shit. But this is supposedly New York. So, okay, I'm sure they they got it. But it's fucking, it's kind of cool, I guess. But anyways, it's some house that April used to stay at. And a family member, it's a family members or some shit. But the weird thing is it's abandoned now. But it's still in living condition. So, I don't know what the fuck had happened to it over the years. But anyways, I just love Hollywood magic. You know, no justification of anything. But, you know, anyways, Casey. He's looking at their van's, or their van that is, and he mentions that the engine's fucked up big time. And April says, you know, we'll walk to a neighbor's house. I'll call for help, and I'll have to. will let my boss know what's going on. And cue the awkward moment of Casey breaking the bad news. You know, says he tells her, hey, I I'll fix the van, but I'll save you that little round trip on you know walking because your boss called and he fired your ass and she is is livid you know she calls him mr. insensitive and he defends himself by saying hey i'm just trying to help and he calls her broadzilla and i thought that was awesome definitely the greatest name you can call a woman and maybe not get slapped for it so try it let me know what you think let me know you know tweet at me how it goes but they each storm into their bedroom having their first official fight. They slam the door behind them. And April, of course, has to go write in her diary or journal. And this is the 1990 version of tweeting, if you will. That's what I fucking thought of it as. But she talks about coming back to her old stomping grounds and how it still feels like home. But, you know, they she's met some new interesting friends along the way, and they're very different friends. And she also talks about how the turtles deal with Splinter their master being gone, and how they each deal with it in a separate way. And we cut to a shot of each turtle and how they're, you know, dealing and coping with this whole shit. First one is Donatello, and he's hanging out with Casey in the garage. You know, he's working on an old truck that has been at the house, that farmhouse forever, practically. And they keep calling each other fucking little ridiculous names, like, you know, when you just, two buddies of course, when buddies get together, all we do is just call each other stupid fucking names. I don't know if that's ever happened in my life. I've got friends that we've never called each other fucking stupid names out of nowhere. Occasionally, when you get pissed, you know, you're playing some some basketball or something, like, hey, motherfucker, you know, watch the elbow kind of a thing. But never... The the names they call each other are f- stuff like Hosebrain and Rooney. And my personal favorite... Camel breath, and those are amazing comebacks. So, fucking add those to the fucking bag of tricks. And so, if you get into a word battle, definitely call somebody camel breath, and they're gonna be like, Whoa, this guy's just too much. But you know, anyways, they eventually get the old truck fired up. But Donnie has apparently never had driving lessons because he just drives this shit right through the side of the garage and ends up fucking <laughs> ruining it again. So, it's awesome. And then we see Leonardo, how he's coping. And he's actually having to look after Raphael, who's fucking passed out in the bathtub, still trying to recover from shit, that big fall that he had. And (laughs) what it reminded me of is how Raphael is clearly the alcoholic Ninja Turtle, and the rest probably just smoke weed, you know, maybe eat some shrooms. I'm sure Michelangelo got stuck in an acid trip, and that's why he seems like such a space case. (laughs) But that would make a good sequel. You know, for a Ninja Turtles film, TMNT, Battle of the Demons. And they each have to battle some substance abuse issue. And only Splinter can help them get those, get them through those hard times. And the hardest fight is always against oneself. And he teaches them how to win that fight. So, rated PG, of course. You have to keep it fucking family friendly. Some drug use is acceptable. It's educating. But we can't have any nunchucks or any use of any more use, that is, of damn. Because that's taken taking things a little too far, guys, as we already know. But... <laughs> so April goes outside. She goes to find the turtles, but Casey tells her, hey, they're out exercising or doing some mutant stuff together. And he offers to help her out with anything she needs, calls himself Mr. Fix-It, of course, and calls her Toots. And she doesn't like that name, apparently, because she gives this fucking evil glare that is very piercing and she basically says fuck you I'm an independent lady I can do this shit all by myself thank you very much and she goes off to do so and so he sits his man baby ass right back down on that front porch swing and my all-time favorite part of the movie happens it's where one half of the swing breaks and he just collapses to the ground which has that amazing facial expression and I honestly don't think that was in the script. And I think this shithole they were filming at literally was falling apart while filming. And he just they just kept that blooper in because the actor did a good job of reacting, but staying in character. So I was even as a kid, I was like, did they mean for that? But it was it's awesome. I love it. But anyways, upstairs in the tub, you know, Raphael finally comes out of his turtle coma and everyone's excited. They rush upstairs to greet him. And the first thing he wants to do afterwards, you know, when waking up, is get a round of fucking ninja training in. So they all, he rounds up the gang, they start doing some training, and April's doing some more journal entries. She says, The turtles are finally back together, but they're not whole since Splinter's still missing. And so we cut to Shredder's lair, and Shredder and Tatsu, they're having a little chat. Tatsu tells him, You know, Splinter won't talk, and Danny, the one who led him to the Turtles, is now missing. And then he asks Shredder, you know, why the fuck do you even care about these damn Turtles? I mean, we got millions of clan, we'll fucking eventually get what we want. But Shredder says, the way they fight is very familiar, something from the past that it reminds him of. And we cut to the Turtles, back at the farm, they're doing some awesome training, and there's some of that great, upbeat, instrumental rock music playing. And so you can tell the spark is reignited in these Ninja Turtles and they are ready to get fucking Splinter back. And Leo even does some meditating at one point where he channels Splinter, but only for a split second, but just enough to where he knows Splinter is alive and okay. And he tells the others, come with him. Let's go out to the field. Let's sit in a circle and meditate. And so they basically, they're going to channel Splinter as a group. And sure enough, you know, this shit works. And Splinter's spirit fucking comes up, you know, rises up, and this fucking the fire that they're sitting next to turns blue, and it's fucking little, it looks like a ghost spirit. So it's like, what the hell's going on? But anyways, he pops up or whatever, and he tells them, "Hey, I'm impressed because you guys have mastered the ultimate ninja skills. You know, you finally became one with this whole channeling, channeling me together type thing, doing the whole meditating as a group." And he ends his whole speech with, a, "I love you guys." And so this meditation session ends, and they all have a big tear in their eyes. You know, they're all crying, but probably tears of joy, you know, knowing Splinter is okay, and they will be too. And the next day, the turtles tell Casey and April, it's time to go back home to the sewer. And Casey, he's not impressed by this place. You know, he's like, man, I wish I had some rich friends who lived in condos, you know, not in these nasty abandoned farms and, fucking, who lives in the city sewer? That's ridiculous. But, you know, back inside the the Ninja Turtle residence, you know, we're watching the turtles from inside a cabinet, as they're having a little talk, but the cabinet's only slightly cracked, so who could this be? And they hear a noise from the cabinet, so they go to check on it, and it's Danny, the missing Foot Clan boy, and he's begging them, you know, April, don't call my dad, you know, he wants to stay the night with them, and he wants to fucking basically live with these guys forever down in the sewer. And Casey Jones chimes in and he's like, you know, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, what's with this whole sleeping in the sewer business? And then Donatello calls him a claustrophobic. And I'll just play a little clip because this part literally made me laugh out loud. I, this was the first real holy shit laugh out loud moment. Hold it, hold it. <clears throat> Now, what is all this talk about spending the night down here? Mm. You're a claustrophobic. <laughs> you want a fist in the mouth? Mm-mm. I've never even looked at another guy before. <laughs> what do you mean? You want a fist in the mouth? I've never even looked at another guy before. That is a classic movie quote, folks. And this is a type of humor the type of humor that is that we lose in the beloved second one. And shit got too watered down in the sequels. But, you know, seriously, Casey is by far my favorite character in this film. He's the best one. You know, he makes me want to go back and revisit the third film just to see him come back to the franchise. But, of course, April in this one, in this film, has to explain to him what claustrophobic means. And he says, fuck you guys, I'm not afraid of anything. I'm Mr. New York Tough Guy. And he says, I'll go sleep in the fucking truck, you know, where the tough guys sleep. And so, anyways, the turtles, they got the munchies. They find this leftover pizza, but it's from a few days ago, so it's growing mold, and they decide, hey, we can't eat this. That's a little nasty. So they give it a fucking proper burial, like any person would do, right, when you have to throw away a pizza. You got to fucking give it a proper burial. They start humming the tap song for the pizza funeral, and they even hold the box just like pizza bears should. (laughs) So a nice little fucking chuckle. But that night, you know, when everyone is sleeping, Danny can't sleep. He's wrestling with his thoughts on what Shredder and Splinter have each taught him. And he decides to get up, you know, wants to sneak out when no one's awake. But he forgot about Casey Jones in the truck, who is not asleep yet. And so Casey follows Danny, who goes off to the Foot Clan hideout. And Danny goes inside and right away goes to see Splinter. You know, he just like, wrestling with his thoughts. He goes to tell him about what's going on, how he's avoiding his family. And Splinter says, you know, sit down, let me tell you about my past. You know, I had this master who was a nujitsu master, and I would watch and study every move, and I'd eventually master them. And he says his master had a nemesis, and they competed constantly, you know, over shit like martial arts and women, all the normal stuff. But one night, the nemesis got so pissed and outraged about losing out on this one particular lady that he killed her and attacked Splinter's master, you know, eventually killing him as well. But Splinter got so fucking mad as well that he escaped from his rat cage, shredded this dude's lower face to pieces, and this motherfucker slices the rat's ear in half, though, with the katana sword. And I had to pause the movie at this point because I was like, holy shit, this is ridiculous. You got Splinter in his fucking little voice and using this piss-poor old 70s-type footage, telling this nonsense It is ridiculous, but I love it in every way. Anyways, Danny asks, you know, whatever happened to the nemesis guy, whose name is Saki, by the way. Great bad guy name. And Splinter says, I don't know, but you wear a symbol on that stupid bandana you have on. And so he drops the bandana to the ground just as Shredder walks in. And Shredder says, what are you doing, boy? And he snags a picture from Danny's back pocket. And it's a drawing. Of Leonardo. It's something that April I did earlier in the film. And so Shredder is now just livid. You know, he tells Tatsu, kill the rat all day with the fucking turtles. And Casey, who happened to also sneak in. Benches waits for these bad guys to go off. And he says, Danny, let's get the fuck out of here. But Danny says, not until we get Splinter. They're going to kill him. And they manage to free Splinter. But before they can escape, they have to take on Tatsu. And a whole bunch of fucking 15-year-old cigarette-smoking assholes. And Tatsu does not play around, guys. You know, he doesn't take no shit. He punches this wisecracking Casey Jones square in the fucking jaw. (laughs) I got a sincere LOL moment because Casey called him Tinkerbell, and then just got laid out, and so I was laughing from this. And he's beating the shit out of Casey, knocks him down to the ground. But Casey luckily spots a golf club just laying there among all this other garbage on the floor. He gets a big old grin and grabs this driver or 9-9 or or whatever the fuck it is, I don't even know, but he basically hole-in-ones this motherfucker by just swinging and nailing him in the face, and Tatsu goes flying across the room. It's an amazing way to take out a bad guy's right-hand man, that's for sure. And then Sam Rockwell chimes in, you know, aka Head Thug, and he says, hey, what are we waiting for? Let's take this golfing asshole out. But Splinter intervenes and explains Shredder is bad news. He's using you guys, he's brainwashing you, and they realize, hey, maybe he's right. You know, let's let him walk, let's let him go. And then we cut to the bad guy half of the Foot gang, you know, the the Foot clan gang that, in their ninja gear, and they're going to raid the New York City sewer system. And they're going to try to find the Ninja Turtles. So they go to their residence only to find it vacant. And the Turtles, but they manage to pop out of nowhere and the rematch is on. And even April's are helping out. You know, she's fighting some bad guy. She knocks him with a fucking broomstick, takes his ass out. And the Turtles decide, hey, let's do what we do third best, which is, you know, only behind eating pizza and smoking weed. Let's skateboard and do some fucking fucking ninja stuff. They take these dudes out, and they turn the sewer system into a half-pipe and start doing all kinds of crazy ninja skateboard tricks. It's awesome. And they eventually make it up to the streets of New York to keep, you know, the whole fight going. And I need to add, they picked an awfully quiet part of town to live in because there is not a single other soul to be found. So good sewer to pick. And you know, there's one part where two of the turtles grab each other's other each other's ankles. And start doing this barrel roll thing together, and it's basically just a roll over bad guys. <laughs> but we keep seeing shots of turtle butt crack and what looks like a fucking vagina. And I was like, is that a slit in the front? I had to pause it. I was like, I'm this is a little bit weird. But I what the hell is that on their ninja turtle suit? So, anyways, but the position they're in is also extremely disgusting, no doubt. And <laughs> oh my god. But they end up taking out all the Foot Clan but in drop shredder from the heavens or some shit because he literally just falls from the sky in slow motion from off screen. So I don't know if he's just jumping off from some building like Spider-Man or what the hell. But anyways, he says, you guys are well-trained, but you will die for all the headaches you've caused me. And each turtle takes a shot at him. You know, they're real cocky at first, but you know, eventually he starts taking them out one by one and the paranoia starts to creep in on the turtles and he, you know, he takes them down a couple of times even. And he tells them, hey, I killed your big fat rat friend, guys. And he makes them throw away their weapons. And suddenly Splinter shows up to save the day. So he's not dead. And he tells Shredder, he knows he's really socky. I know you killed my master. So he is the nemesis after all. And Shredder takes off his mask to reveal that nasty scar And this part, for some reason, always stood out when I was a kid. You know, the whole unmasking and unveiling of his face was pretty cool. It looked a little bit fucking frightening in a weird way. I was pretty young when I saw this at first. But it always stood out. I went back and rewatched it. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that scene. Anyways, you know, he charges after Splinter, but he winds up missing. And he's just hanging off the side of this building. And he does eventually fall. But it's right into a garbage truck. So how convenient that a garbage truck that was there at this time of night in a random neighborhood, parked exactly where he would fall. Good old Hollywood magic, I'm telling you. Anyways, the turtles and Splinter, they finally share a big hug, and they're so relieved to survive this whole scare. There's also a cutesy little I-want-to-barf moment, basically, when Danny sees his dad on the street, who has been looking for him for days. And they share a big hug, and it's real cheesy, of course, but the best part is when Danny tells him, dad just call me dan from now on and i'm like what the fuck point is that like who cares the hug is all you need leave it at that you know shortening your birth name a second time from daniel doesn't warrant you a man if that what your goal if that's what your goal was here dude so but good try and casey and april they also meet up and he he's looking like a fucking hot mess but he's got that good guy who just came out on top of an action movie look going, so April's kind of kind of all excited all of a sudden, and she says, shut up, fucking asshole, and give me a kiss. And so they make out, and the Ninja Turtles, they even say, oh man, they rate the fucking kiss 9.95 out of 10. And they start doing some amazing, you know, teenager quips like, wicked, hellacious, excellent, and Splinter's favorite and my favorite, Cowabunga, and roll the end credits. That's the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the original, the best. And that was fucking awesome to go back and rewatch that film, guys. I loved it. I'll be honest, this is now my new favorite Ninja Turtles film. You know, the second one for the longest time was my favorite and it's still great. It's very meaningful to me because I grew up loving that one even more. But as an adult, this is the obvious choice for the better film. And it's by far more rewatchable, much better humor, and just it's got good character development. It's got, you know, the the Shredder actually is a good bad guy in this film. He's got the good right-hand man. <laughs> the Foot Clan is ridiculous. But at the time, like I said, it was maybe more socially acceptable to see that kind of bullshit with teenagers smoking on screen. It was a part of society, it still is, and they just showed it for what it was. And I thought that was kind of interesting. I was like, this film's a little gritty. That's you know, I said earlier it was mature, but it's gritty. That's the other word I was looking for. But you know, if you guys are wondering who who's my who's your favorite turtle, Steve? And I'll be honest, I've always been a fan of Leonardo. So I'm a Leo guy. You know, I love Blue, the, the the two swords. That's just badass. I love it. And this film, he's pretty great. You know, I think Leo uh, was still my favorite. But I think, you know, Donatello with Corey Feldman as the voice is pretty great. I like the voice of him probably the most. But I still like Leonardo as the best, as far as my favorite Ninja Turtle. So message or tweet me and let me know who your favorite Ninja Turtle is and why. But anyways, you know, back to the film. You know, some character flaws I might want to add. I don't see how these turtles are so damn chiseled <laughs> with as much pizza as they eat it with as much pizza as they eat. That is. And I guess they just, you know, with them getting around the New York city sewer system via skateboard, you know, that, that might be all the cardio they need to stay in good shape, I guess. But, you know, and speaking of the skateboarding, no way they don't accidentally get stuck on a bump in the sewer at some point and fall fucking eat it and fall down. <laughs> so they need to fucking put that in the film. Show some bloopers. And you know, all these bullshit flip kicks or whatever tricks they're pulling off in the sewers, eventually one's going to fail. And we got to talk about the overall the villains, you know, the, the villains of the film. Shredder is awesome. You know, the name is amazing for a bad guy. It sounds mean and nasty, like it can rip apart anything, you know what I mean? The helmet makes this guy, though, because... The rest of the outfit is a little silly, you know, the oversized glittery glittery, that is, poofy outfit, which he can pull off somehow, but it's still not the coolest look. You know, he does have those shoulder pads, you know, and the fucking, you know, the fucking forearm pads or whatever with fucking spikes on them. That's pretty badass. But the red outfit is not my fave. The cartoon made it look pretty cool, but not in you know the live action. And his right-hand man, Tatsu, is pretty awesome. You know, he's a badass second-in-command to Shredder. You know, he'll kick your teeth in, basically. <laughs> and so even if you're a fucking minor, you know, a teenager, he's going to whoop up on your ass in this fucking film. So he doesn't fuck, doesn't carry. If he gets mad, he's got some anger issues. You know, he just grunts and yells most of the time. But you can tell he's got those fucking serious martial arts skills, and you don't want to fuck with this dude. And gotta talk about the highlight of this film, which is the music. It's all over the place with the fucking crazy soundtrack. It's god-awful, in my opinion. You know, you get AMC Hammer as the highlight, and that is never a good thing. You know, it just consists of a lot of rap crap, which was the norm for 1990. It's not music I would ever drive around listening to, but watching Ninja, Ninja Turtles, it fits the movie. And without it, the movie wouldn't be the same. And so the, sa- the soundtrack was actually pretty popular, I read. It was, you know, a pretty big hit. And, of course, you know, this spawned many more fucking Ninja Turtle movies. We got lots of sequels, remakes. There, of course, the two original sequels, number two, The Secret of the U's, which is a lot of fun but a lot of nonsense at the same time. The violence was too much, and it got watered you know, in the first one. So like this one, they had to water it down to the point that they have to use sausages rather than regular nunchucks to avoid some kind of an X rating, I guess, or whatever bullshit. And then you get number three, where the turtles go back in time. And I haven't seen it in a while, and I, I do, I want to try to go back and get through it in one sitting. You know, this would be the first time I've watched it in my adulthood, so it'd be a new milestone for me in a way. The remakes and the new sequels all suck, in my opinion. The CGI and that first remake in 07 was fucking garbage. It looked like a really weird cartoon mixed in with the real world, but it's no Roger Rabbit, folks. It is some bullshit reboot. So, and the newer remakes look better, but the turtles look too different, and I don't like it. And once again, the CGI causes it to lose some of that charm. You know, they did go all—you know—they went over the top basically with the effects, but it just becomes so outlandish at times that it eh, just—it doesn't feel like a good Ninja Turtles film to me and i haven't seen them all but i guess being a ninja turtles fan i should probably check out some of the some of the later sequels i've only seen like one or two of the fucking newer ones but you know and maybe that'll change my mind overall about the fucking the the fucking the franchise being rebooted you know but growing up with the originals those can never be topped and as far as a 1 to 5 star recommend this film holds up I'm surprised it didn't win a fucking Oscar for the amazing makeup and effects with those puppets. and But seriously, it looked really good back then and barely any blemishes all these years later. So I have to give it five stars. And as much as I love the second, the first one is a classic. And it really wasn't groundbreaking necessarily, but it kind of was in that it made a good comic book come to life on the big screen. Or made a good comic book come to life in a good way on the big screen, that is. So they did a great job with that. And, of course, Toyline was a major success. And the effects in the film, they may look a little silly at times, but I still prefer, you know, the body suits over the CGI. It looks still more natural and organic or whatever, and the characters seem realer that way to me. They really come to life when they're, you know, just in the suits. I love it, and they did a great job, and you know, with as much work as they put in the first one and the advancements in the second one. And this movie was a big deal in my childhood and meant a lot to me. I still love it today. I can't recommend it enough. If you have kids, watch it with them. If you're a big kid like me, check it out again because it is a lot of fun. You know, if you don't own it, dive into the five dollar bin because it is definitely there somewhere. It's definitely not a an expensive fucking title, but you know, it's not on Netflix or Hulu sadly. So you gotta dive into that, or if you want to stream it for a few bucks, definitely check out Voodoo. But you might as well just pay 5 bucks and own this shit. It's a classic. You know, I own the first two and was incredibly excited to watch them back-to-back. You know, the only way that they should be viewed ever is back-to-back. And I do not own the third. And honestly, haven't attempted to rewatch it, for, like I said, for a long time. But I may have to go back and see how it holds up. Definitely see how Casey Jones is doing. Check out that humor he brings. But we're talking next episode... And it's the ninjas playing Sega Game Gear. We get a bad guy, Leslie Nielsen. We're going surfing. It's Surf Ninjas. It's another early 90s favorite of mine. As the way of the ninja month keeps on kicking, guys. And you know, I'm excited this month gives me a little bit more variety with different stars of the cast. Different kids of humor. You know, titles that are classics or forgotten treasures. So definitely look forward to that. You know, make sure to check out any previous episodes in the meantime. Or if you can't get enough of the show, please make sure to check out the Facebook page. Just search Guilty Pleasure Movies. You can also tweet at me. It's GPM underscore podcast. Make sure to leave a review when you listen, please, and thank you. And as always, guys, thanks again for tuning in. Cowabunga, guys, and to be continued. Oh, thank you.